folks, and welcome or welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima, again. And this podcast was brought to you, among others, by Emil Gorgis, a Tokyo real estate agent who specializes in serving international or mixed nationality families looking for the perfect family home. So Emil's an Australian. He's been living here in Japan for the past two decades, eight years of which he's been actively buying, selling, and managing real estate properties in the city on behalf of his own family and a great many happy clients. And he also acts as a mortgage broker on behalf of his clients. So his company has a dedicated loan officer in many of the Japanese mega banks. And if you're a regular listener, you probably already know him from our JREP, the Japan Real Estate Experts panel sessions. So you're probably already aware that the man is an absolute fountain of wisdom on all things related to real estate in Japan, and in particular to family homes, the greater Tokyo metropolitan area and mortgages. And most importantly, he's incredibly generous with his time and advice, which he's more than happy to provide at no cost or commitment to anyone asking. So if you've been thinking about buying your home in Tokyo, but you've been sitting on the fence for a while, or if you just want to have a chat in English with a real expert, drop him a line on emil.gorgis, that's E-M-I-L dot G-O-R-G-E-E-S, emil.gorgis at tokyorealty.jp. Hit him up today and start exploring your options. All right, so we're back with our JREP, the Japan Real Estate Experts panel this week, or at least most of the panel. And today we're talking about features that attract tenants or guests if you're managing short-term stay properties. Lockers for package deliveries, child-safe and baby-friendly Airbnbs. And then we segue from that into how to market your short-term stay property and all about catering to different guest profiles, which then turns into a broader discussion about owning focused business niches, scratching your own itch and turning it into a business solution and so forth. And for dessert, we've got a masterclass session with, from Emil, who educates us on fixed versus variable mortgage rates, how important is it, should we even be thinking about it, and what it all boils down to dollars or yens wise. So super informative, brainstorming and educational session there, as always with this crew. Enjoy, and I'll see you again on the other side. Got it. Good afternoon, guys. How are we? Good afternoon. And gals. <laughs> Let's have just one of us introduce everybody now. That's you. Tracy, you can tell everyone who everyone is. Um, okay, I was multitasking. Um, so yes, um, I'm going first because I have the mic. Um, my name is Tracy. I am a Minpaku specialist. So in Japan and also globally, um, I help people with short-term rentals um, and I've been doing it for a long time, so 10 years. Um, and Emil, who's sitting to my left on my screen, um, <laughs> he is a local real estate agent. He will help you find a family residence and also help you with the bank details. Um, and Ziv does everything else. So Ziv will do investment, commercial properties, um, and looks after people who are coming in from overseas. How do I do? Correct. All right. Spot on. Spot on. Spot on. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to give you a seven out of ten for that intro. Um, oh, Tim okay. Ferriss. Sorry, I, I did. Um, I did. He did put me on the spot. I didn't actually. Oh yeah. Oh. oh no, no, no. It's, it's, it's pretty good. Um, I like that. But uh, I'm sure a lot of us know of Tim Ferriss. He says, on like, when you rate something on a 
can choose any rating, but not seven out of ten, because because seven out of ten is it's a bit vague and unclear. Eight out of ten is great; you'd recommend it to a friend. Six out of ten, not really needs work. So seven out of ten is like that in between thing that you don't want to commit to either way. So I'll give you a seven out of ten. But for intros, that, but for, for intro, he's not recommending you yeah. for intros, Tracy. Just oh, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Still recommend you for a short-term stay. Well, I'm going to give myself a 10 out of 10 for my properties, Tokyo Family Stays, because if you follow my Instagram, I've actually, like, just won an award from booking.com. So I'm going to be plastering all that all over the socials. So um, but that's basically because I've got really good reviews because I'm an awesome host. That's why. Yes. You You should publish a book. You should publish a book about how to I be a awesome host. Hey, you know what? That's a really nice segue. I was actually on the phone with my publisher today, and I am writing a book in 2022. Um, and I haven't, I haven't, I've written the chapter headings, but I haven't actually started writing it yet. But I do have a blog, and which I'm going to be drawing a lot of content. I've got thousands and thousands and thousands of words. Um, I've just been blathering on about whatever I'm interested in talking about at the moment. So I'm just going to collate a lot of those and uh, edit them. Um, and publish a book. You've spoken Ziv out of the picture. I've spoken Ziv out of the picture. <laughs> he, he said that he was going to be popping in and out because he had uh, deli- real life, you know, the doorbell was ringing. So that's real life happening. Um, um, and- deliveries. I want to talk about just brief because he's gone out on delivery. We'll jump back to your book in a second, but deliveries. I've, I've got you a want to great, talk about Ziv because um, he's not here. <laughs> uh, he's boring anyway. I'll have to talk about him. Um, there's... Uh, I I was looking because I, I like getting deliveries, but I just, I mean, deliveries are really convenient and great in Japan. I just hate always having to answer the door or doing the, the Sai Hai Tatsu, like the, uh, the re-delivery notification. Yeah. So I actually got, um, bought a, a sticker on Amazon. It's called, uh, they say the term Okuhai. So, you know, Hai Tatsu means like Hai means like the delivery and Oku means just to, to place something. Okuhai right. means just leave it at the front door. So yeah, it, it actually says, companies have an anyway. option for that, right? When you order Uber Eats, you can say just leave it outside the door. Yeah, like they do, and even Amazon has an option like leave at the front door, Genkans. But this is very specific. Like whether they read it, you can say leave it in the Takuhai box. Um, like we, we used to have one, we removed it because so a Takuhai box for those listeners who aren't aware um, is basically by by your front entrance or your your. Um, uh, like for if you have a house that is, or buy a letterbox, it's a, it's a large box and it's lockable. You open it once, so generally unlock. The delivery guy can put a large parcel in there, so you can get different sizes. But basically, yeah, where we at? This big, um, sort of thing. You can put one large delivery, and then he closes it and it locks, so it's a one-time. Yeah. But I find out with a lot of Amazon deliveries, it's just it's too small. Um, even like it's, and if you have something, have multiple things come in. We use Amazon about you know twenty times a month. We get delivery, so we're always you know even just we need a pen, the Namaya pens to write kids' names on their clothes and stuff. Just it comes in a big box this big for one little pen. But anyway, I'm sharing um, so the go- screen. I'm sharing the screen right now, and this is um, the Temple oh. High box. So Some of the newer uh, buildings actually come with those. That uh, that's a really sought after feature by tenants. Yeah, so the, how, it, how it's set up in a mansion or apartment building, um, you have the letterboxes, and then you'll have, a, yeah, like so what you see on the right, then you have a series of these um, in some of the mansions. And what the delivery person will do is they'll put in one of the boxes, 
and they'll actually enter a um, enter a code like you know one two three four. They'll the delivery guy will set it, and then he'll put the envelope the um, delivery notification into your post box and say it is in the Takuhai box delivery box number four, and the pin number is one two three four. And that's so when you receive it, you can just access it um, from that box. You don't need to uh, request the re-delivery. But for a house, often you know we have what you know on the what the desktop is showing there is it's it's like a box like that, um, which can be they can be varying sizes you can choose from. But the thing is, it's one time open, like it's a one time lock, right? So it's just one delivery. And often you don't have such a that such a big space like that to put in the front, and they don't always put it in there. Sometimes they just leave the delivery the re-delivery notice, and you have to call them back. But what there, there's a thing called um, uh, there, there's some stickers uh, you can get on Amazon, and I got one recently. It says Okuhai OK, like Genkan Mayani Oite Kurasai. So please leave it in front of the the front door. Um, so basically, they come and they and you can get two, two options like please um, ring the doorbell or please do not ring the doorbell. So I've got, yeah, please don't ring the doorbell. So now, you know, every time I come home, there's just, there's some boxes in front of my, my front door and we haven't been disturbed. We haven't been issues. No, no need to reissue anything. So yeah, just, just something you mentioned. Um, yeah. Cause you went out to get your deliveries. If, yeah. There's uh, going to be another one in a minute. <laughs> Japan's amazing for that. I actually had, been at a friend's house the light went out he picked up the phone somebody came over with light bulbs like it's amazing what you can get delivered here absolutely uh, and um we tend our you know um our amazon guy tends to just leave it at the front door anyway so since covid it's just a, a pretty standard thing but um you know there is a big issue in the u.s though of the porch pirates right because it's quite yes. common to leave it there um, and there's porch pirates, and um, which is a big problem. But have, this is completely digressing. But if, if you watch a um, a video done by a guy called Mark Rober, he does um, uh, he's an engineer, and he actually has glitter bombs. The glitter bombs. The yeah. glitter bombs. It is outstanding. Well, it does have a tie-in to short-term rentals because of because a lot of these. Um, uh, um, he he also then links to. Um, the, the people who catch the scammers um, and the scammers who um, uh, take the, you know, uh, scam people out of money and they actually get delivery. The money mules go to Airbnbs and they get their deliveries of money to those places. Oh, nice. So um, so if you are an Airbnb host, if, it don't, if people want to get deliveries done to your place, that's a big eh -eh because they can sometimes be having, um, they could sometimes be oh. money mules. Mm. That's a different story. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I was fine with having people delivering stuff to the, the Airbnbs. Um, well, I mean, such I, an issue. It's usually, like in Japan, the, the stuff being delivered to, to Airbnbs is usually people having their luggage sent from the airport. So, um, you know, Japan is a different animal uh, altogether when it comes to, um, you know, logistics yeah. and, and uh, yeah, but... Um, having your luggage sent from the airport and having it sent to your Airbnb is a, is a is a great option, really good option. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I let's jump back onto the topic of your book, Tracy. I think so. Oh, we, sure. We, okay, uh, we, we, uh, digress yes. from there. But yeah, so okay, so what what's the title of it, or what what's the well, the working topic, title you know, right host? now, the working title right now is called the Wholehearted Host. Um, how to 
uh, and in the subtitle, I'm still playing around with the wording, but it's like, you know, how to maximise your profits by providing exceptional hospitality um, or how to get booked in a busy market without discounting. You know, I'm playing around with a few different titles to see what's what really is going to make people want to open it up. But it is all about um, how to have a smaller, smaller inventory but have a, a very high-touch hospitality business, but to have that be very, very profitable and, and also have that have good quality of life and also, um, yeah, just be a good business that you're proud of. Because so, there's a lot of people out there trying to tell, you know, that, that are selling the idea of, like, you need to be anonymous and everything needs to be automated and you're going to have a million doors and, you know, it's all going to run like clockwork. What That market or that model is really, I don't think it's very sustainable. Um, so I'm really, you know, people do it and then people do, people do it quite successfully. I don't know how to run a business like that. What I know how to do is actually maximise the profit from each and every booking because I know who my guest is. I know um, I know who I serve and I make sure that I look after them and give them everything they need. And then I monetize at each step of the relationship. So it's, um, it's not just, you know, I mean, I love my guests. They're fantastic. But I also, there is also ways to not leave money on the table if you know what their needs are and you know how to monetize at each step. It's money that people are going to spend anyway. So I'm just helping them spend it with me. Is it yeah, location Tracy. specific? The book, Tracy, is it like about Japan, or do you have sections about different countries? Or I think it's it's more about the philosophy. It's more about the philosophy of a high touch hospitality business, and about really understanding your um, your niche and being very specific about how you um, about how you do your marketing. Uh, a lot of people when they get into Airbnb think, oh, I just want to have everybody. I want to be, you know, I want everybody to come and stay. It's like that's fine, but you end up having a very cookie-cutter property and you have a very cookie-cutter um, experience. And so what you get, tend to get is people only choosing the cheapest option there is, whereas my philosophy is um, I want to appeal to people's needs and solving their problems and then the price is secondary to the whole experience. So it just means that you're a lot less price sensitive when you're, you know, running a very specific niche. Um, yeah. And then and then you get less problems as well because if someone is really just looking for a discount bargain basement place, they're not going to be happy with my place anyway. So they're going to self-select away. So um, it's going to leave my calendar open for people who really appreciate my hospitality yeah. style. Yeah, and so... Like what I used to do with my properties, the ones that are oh, like pre-COVID that is, um, I had some small places, small apartments that weren't suitable for children, but I had some houses as well. But, and houses are great for children. So just doing a few things extra, because even when I travel with my three kids, we look for these things. Baby gates on the stairs, um, high chair, right? A child, a high chair for a kid and um, baby um, or ch children, um, tableware, cutlery, and, and plates, so plastic plates and stuff, and a small set of toys, right? You can buy from a hundred yen shop or just leftover our own kids' toys, stuff like that, and and a crib, just a porta crib or a bassinet. Basically, those four items. So, um, safety gates on the chairs because everyone parent is concerned about stairs. Okay, so having safe uh, child gates, um, a few toys, uh, and the high chair and the baby. Um, uh, baby plates and foodware 
just those those four sort of items just make it all of a sudden baby friendly, child welcoming, and you now appeal to families. Of course, then there's more stuff you can add, but those are the simple items that when we're looking for, it's like, do they have a crib or a bassinet? The fresh air. Do they have a high chair? Properties, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Like you're not even just like to, to differentiate. You can like differentiate feels like you're kind of going really sort of <laughs> quite an extreme. But yeah, it is a, a point of convenience that makes it like when you're looking, like when we're looking, if there's a property, that when you have a kid, you just don't want it and you're traveling, you want as minimal kind of headache as possible, especially so being able to sit a baby down at a table uh, and eat without worrying about breaking the plates or without worrying about them falling down the stairs or without them falling off the chair, just that, just that means, wow, that's going to be so much relief for a, a parent. And that's something that is cheap. It's really cheap to set up to cost, but it's very inconvenient for a, a parent to bring with them or to try to coordinate on the ground. Yeah, I, I agree. And also it does, you know, you can sort of drill down a little bit further even in, in the, the choices that you make for decor when you're decorating a place. So if you really are targeting a family, you want to choose a dining chair that has a back on it. Um, and, you, you know, you Yes, the stools are very fashionable and they're, you know, they look great in photos. But if as a parent, if as a, when I had young, when, I, when my child was young, if I had seen a dining room that had um, dining glass chairs, probably. like a glass table or a, a chair with a low back, I knew that my child would just fall off that if there was no high chair. So it's just those subtle things and just being very clear about who you serve. Um, I help people. That, that are very high-end and they're not, they're not child-friendly, you don't have to host other people's children if you don't like them or if you don't think they're suitable for your place. Like um, one of my clients is somebody who's in, in Shinjuku that has an extensive vinyl, vinyl collection of jazz um, and they have, you know, lots of really steep stairs and they have very high-end appliances in the, in the kitchen, like, you know, and, and so their target customer is very, very different from the, my target customer. And they still are very profitable because they're niched down um, and uh, because the people that they get are not buying on price. So it's, uh, that's, that's what my book's going to be all about, how to do that. That was one of the th first things. I mean, it's not re specifically regarding rentals, but like when I started doing any kind of business like one of the first things i really quickly learned is like don't be afraid to own a niche like you exactly. might you might think that oh there's not a lot of people who would go for that but i mean there are enough people who will go for that and nobody else who's serving them yeah yeah absolutely and um that that's the biggest thing that i that i have to help people with is like telling them you know you don't want to help everybody you just want to be specific and and when i was consulting when uh, there was a lot of tourists coming in the biggest thing that i was helping japanese host with is is helping them understand the little things that they needed to include that was really important for inbound tourists um and if they wanting to get great reviews from inbound tourists then they needed to have coffee cups proper coffee cups not the Japanese teacups. They need to have knives and forks. There's a lot of Japanese houses only have hashi. Yeah. Um, and what is important to a Japanese uh, person is is, is 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 slightly different, slightly nuanced from what's going to be important to a um, an inbound tourist. I mean, I know 
when my parents were traveling around, you know, they had stayed that, you know, they booked an Airbnb in Kyoto. There was not one chair in the whole place. Um, So, and my father's got bad knees. (laughs) So, you know, so if they were going to be targeting, you know, you know, an older traveler, um, then, you know, you need to make sure that you've got chair, uh, chairs. And, uh, so, you know, my father was sitting on the toilet to, to read the newspaper in the mornings. It was just like seat down, sitting on the toilet just so he could read his iPad. Yeah. He, because, because there was just nowhere for him to sit as, a, you know, as an 80-year-old man. So anyway, yeah. so it's just all about marketing. It's all just about tweaking that mindset. Yeah. I do want to touch on the, the concept of finding a niche. Yes. It's more just a general business discussion as well. Like, um, I think definitely if you are the niche customer yourself and you have difficulty um, finding such product for yourself or you know what needs to be satisfied because you're the target customer mm-hmm. as yourself, then you can, I think you can really understand the gap and what the requirements are. Whereas it, um, you might you have some difficulty You do that your business. You're very specific about your niche. Well, well, yeah. Because so you are that niche, yeah? You understand well, the pain points. Well, well that, that's how it started. So, well, both for, for the Airbnb properties, right? Because I have, you know, I've got three young children. So when we traveled, I remember I took um, paternity leave, actually, with my second kid for uh, 18 months. Nice. And we traveled. We're out of the country. We're out of Japan for about eight months. We went to, we were like, I think, five weeks in Hawaii, I think a, a, a month in Mexico, um, uh, three, no, almost three to six months, like on and off in Australia. We're in uh, California as well. But we were out of the country for eight months. And we all, all Airbnbs and Ubers and, and like stuff like that uh, to get around. So just our experience through that, we really understood what the requirements are. Like when you go to a place, that, oh, this is cheap and it's in a good location. But wow, this glass dining table is is an issue. This lack of, of bassinet for a young child, like just, all these like $80 bassinet, 10,000 10, yen, $100 bassinet um, makes the, the stay, like is a deciding factor between do I stay here or, or not? Or when, you know, when I'm looking for places with my wife, you know, oh, look, I, find, I found these two or three properties. Got, uh, this one's got a bassinet. Bang. Yeah. That, that's it. Or the childhood, like just a few little touches. So it was because I'm the target client, I know very well what, what is missing or what I'd like to have. And similarly with, the reason I started real estate, um, I like my very first property. I actually ended up buying it all myself. I I found a developer. Um, <clears throat> I was I was dry, riding around looking for some for some like so. It's kind of funny. The agent who I work with now, I met him. The the real estate agency who I work with, Ken Suzuki is his name, um, and he's got you know about forty staff at at the office now in in Ebis. Um, I'm one of the sales team, but I met him originally through. Uh, when I was searching for a place, I was working for an IT company this is about a decade, uh, almost a decade ago. I met him and he was really, really cool, nice and spoke English and he was just some guy online. You know, I'd, I'd reach out to different um, agents online depending on which property I wanted to see. And I met, I wanted, I called him and he showed me one, like I met him at the place. And I, he, he just like, we got along so well that time. I did end up using him. I ended up, you know, I just had a, a scooter, a big scooter and I used to ride around and, one time I saw like a development going up in the area. So I just walked in and I started speaking with the developer right then and there. And I ended up buying through the developer directly. So when my first property, there wasn't an agent involved at all. 
I had to do all the bank stuff myself, right? Um, I had to like learn everything, all the process myself and how to do it because there's no agent to, to discuss with. Um, and I bought it directly from the developer. And the developer, they are technically a licensed agent, so they could prepare all the contracts and stuff and read it to me. But I still had really very little idea of what was going on. There's no one to guide me. So with all that learning, when I had finished and, and done it, I thought I used to be heavily involved with the Australian New Zealand Chamber of Commerce. And we used to run seminars and, and um, stuff for the, for the members. And so I you know, used to coordinate stuff like that. So I thought, you know what, why not do a foreigner's guide to buying a house in Japan? A seminar, all the information I learned, all the process stuff I learned for foreigners. And that's when I actually went back to Ken Suzuki, the, the, um, the owner of the real estate agency I'm, I, I never ended up using, but I just liked this guy so much. Like he, just, he was so personable and so honest and, and great. And he was very, very fluent in English. I said, look, I think we can run these seminars um, like in your office and it's a good way to get clients. And that's how our relationship sort of really began. And I started to work with him and initially it was like just, um, just seminars and just some referrals. And then I'd start to show clients more and more and more. And then basically fully transitioned into that role full time. Um, but yeah, it was really my clients are people like myself. I, I started by educating people, showing them what, what I learned sort of the, the hard way, all that learning curve, I sort of bring, and now that's in, entirely my, my business, right? It's my clients, I, want, I showed them exactly the process and I did it firsthand. I've got two places now. So I have the two times that firsthand experience, all the real struggles, um, uh, the ins and outs. So I often have to answer questions to the, my clients that I tell them, look, these are the questions you need to be asking. So you don't even know you need to ask these questions. This is what you should be asking, and this is the answer for it. So I give them a, quite a whole picture, and that's um, yeah. If anyone listening wants to go through that, we can get on a one-hour to ninety-minute phone call. Um, send me an email; it'll be in the description. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm happy to help. But very much at yeah, the niche market, if you are your own customer, I think that's that's how you can best understand how to meet the requirements and fulfill the needs of that niche. We interrupt this broadcast, I always wanted to say this, we interrupt this broadcast to tell you about Tokyo Family Stays. They're a short-term rentals company in Tokyo, and they offer a home away from home experience, which is just perfect for remote working, quarantining, or if you just need summer quiet to hide away from the world. So they offer a variety of options for families, for corporate relocations, or simply if you're transitioning between homes in Tokyo. Now the properties are super comfortable, tastefully furnished, fully equipped with all amenities, and they accommodate up to 10 people. So really the only thing you'll need to bring with you is your toothbrush and maybe a change of clothes. They've got fast, unlimited wireless internet, dedicated workspaces, and fully equipped kitchens, and they're just a delight to stay in, a fantastic alternative to Japanese business hotels, which if you've ever stayed in one, you probably know they're tiny, they're noisy, fine for a night or two if you're on your own, but long-term or with a family, you'll probably feel you're in a jail cell very quickly. So if you wanna give yourself a sense of space and freedom by renting a real home with comfortable Western beds, including all the necessities like baby bedding, children's toys, high chairs, you definitely wanna reach out to Tokyo Family Stays. They've been at it for over a decade. They're a fully licensed minpaku or short-term stay operator. And as a special bonus for our viewers and listeners, they're also throwing in a breakfast basket upon arrival for anyone who books and mentions the Japan Real Estate Podcast or NTI. 
And not only for guests, if you're a property owner, you've got an investment property that you want to tweak for higher profits or a holiday home that you want rented out when not in use via short-term stays, drop them a line today, see how they can help you maximize your property's income. And again, as a special bonus to our viewers and listeners, they're also offering a free audit of your existing short-term stay listings without any obligation whatsoever. So feel free to reach out to them at tokyofamilystays.com. Well worth your visit. And again, if you're in the market for a family home in or around the Tokyo metropolitan area, Emil's your man. Don't be shy to reach out to him as well at emil.gorgies, G-O-R-G-E-E-S at tokyorealty.jp. That's Sorry, exactly how we started too, actually. We, um, we purchased a couple of investment properties for ourselves. And just going through the process, you realize that, wow, that'd be a lot of people who could use that kind of support to do exactly that, right? And that's that's exactly the way we say. Scratch your own itch is always the best way to start a business, I think. Scratch your own itch. <laughs> There's a cream for that. <laughs> so, Emil, we had a uh, on the Japan Real Estate Group on Facebook, which if any of our mm. listeners are still not um, members of, uh, it's a really, really good group with a lot of good discussions and plenty of nice listings for sale and rental by various agents around Japan. Um, but the discussions, the community there is what really um, brings up some really interesting topics. And we had one there that, uh, Emil, you wanted to address, right? For people wondering mm. about what kind of mortgage to get. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. That, yeah. Um, so, yeah, if you can pull, like, pull that up. So we had someone on the, on the discussion. They did a screenshot. Of, the and then Tracy can share that. I've got, I have the, I have it ready to go. So yeah, sure. I'll pull it up, and and I'll Share I'll explain. So, there we go. Yeah, um, so as part of our role with the agency, um, one thing that we do is also all the, the mortgage financing. Um, so we have the um, mega banks; they have a loan officer assigned to us, so we can submit. We do can do the loan finance and basically the mortgage brokering service on the client's behalf, and it's we don't make any money from it. It costs the client nothing, but it helps us secure the financing, so you so the client can buy the house. So. We're, I'm very familiar with the ins and outs and pros and cons of the home purchase process. Okay, um, and and sorry, not the home purchase, the, the mortgage, the, the the financing side of stuff. So one of the questions that came up was the client uh, on oh, sorry on the Japanese Facebook, um, uh, sorry J- uh, Japanese real estate Facebook group was what should they choose a variable interest rate. Like so in Japanese, called hendo kinri, which hendo means like moving, so floating interest rate, or should they choose the fixed rate, like the three-year or five-year or ten-year fixed interest rate, because one seems cheaper than the other, okay? Or you know maybe more more stable, less you know um, less risk of, of adjustment. So if you look at this, um, Tracy, if you can just maybe zoom in a little bit, I think it's. Um, you're on the phone, so yeah. it's a bit hard, though. So yeah, it's one. Yeah, okay. It'll be. I see the whole screen. Okay. Oh well, look. Let's have a look. So I'll walk people through this. Um, oh, I guess we got some people listening on the podcast. So I'll try to be descriptive in my words as well. Yes, please. So, so what we've got on the screen now is the Shinsei um, uh, Shinsei Bank interest rates, interest rate break, breakdowns. The reason we chose Shin, Shinsei Bank is just because the, the document is in English and it's easy to understand, and I can easily walk you through it. So if you look at this, says the floating interest rate is 0.45%. There's two, there's a red and orange one. So one is 0.45%, the other one is 0.65%. Okay, let's, um, 
let's just look at the 0.65% one for the, for the time being, okay? So the 0.65% is if it's floating. And that means it's a variable rate. Um, and below it is the one year, three, five, seven, 10, 15, and 20 year fixed rates. And they go 0.85, 0 0.75, 0 0.75, 0 0.8, and increases. So it looks like a one year fixed rate is actually a bit higher, 0.85%. Okay, so we go down. And then it gets to a 20 year rate is 1.05% for the 20 year fixed. Okay, which is actually you know, quite low. You think, you know what? I, I have two options. I can go for a long term fixed rate at about you know, 0.9 or 1%, or I can get the variable rate. Which is floating. It might go up and might go up in the future, but it's zero point six five. Which one is the? Which one is going to be better for me? And you can think, you know, right now zero point six five sounds cheap, but what if the interest rates go up? How much will they go up? If they go up to two percent, maybe it was better to get the one percent fixed for you know fifteen years or twenty years. That would have been a better deal. That's speculation. You can't really answer that. So easily but one um one thing i like that's important to point out is the interest rates um like variable interest rates have been pretty much the same for about 12 or 13 years right so that 0.65 percent has been the same for over a decade it doesn't fluctuate like what we have in the west where you see you know, zero point, the central bank increases zero by a quarter percent, 0.25 percent bang, or just go up. And then three months later, it goes up another 0.2 percent. We won't see that. that. It, it, just, it just will not happen. And one, one of the guys in the group as well said, you know, he used to work in, um, in uh, finance, in the interest rates, in the bond interest rate department. He goes, if it were to go up 1 percent, it would basically break the country. Um, banks, uh, companies could not repay debts. Uh, with that interest rate um so it's just something that won't will not happen i kind of agree like the kind of fluctuations we see are maybe 0 0.05 0 0.1 um it just and but again the mega banks it's kind of been the same for about 12 or 13 years now without any change the other thing i want to point out um if you just scroll a little bit to the right of that page of that document yeah okay thank you um, there's a discount applicable. Now, the variable interest rates, it actually says here, if you look, it says the base rate is 1.55%. So the actual interest rate is 1.55, but you receive a discount of about 0.9%. And that 0.9% discount is for the life of the loan. Now, here's what happens. If you were to change, like so the, the discount you receive on the variable rate at the beginning of the loan, it's quite attractive, okay? If you were to change to a um, fixed loan, right? If you think look, the fixed loan, the three-year or the five-year or 10-year fixed loan is better, but then you want to change to the variable rate later, you will not be getting the same 0.9% discount. So you might actually, when it goes to variable, instead of being 0.65, it's going to be, um, I don't think it'll be 1.55. They'll still give you a discount, but it'll be less, right? You'll, you'll no longer have that discount. That special discount is only at the initial, um, 
uh, establishment of the loan. And it can stay for the life of the loan as long as you don't change from one to the other. How often so can you actually change? Can you change mid-loan from fixed variable back again? Uh, yeah, so like with Shinsei, for example, the every six months, uh, every six months, I believe, you can choose to go to a fixed rate or not. Okay. Um, so, so let's say um, you're on, you know, the zero point six five, and then they send you a letter. Look, the six months is coming up. I don't know if it's every six months or every twelve months, but um, you can you're able to change it in this one month window. You want to choose one of the variable options, and you say, oh, you know what? Let's go to ten year fixed, and the ten year fixed is zero point nine percent right you do that uh, when the 10 years is finished that's when you can re-choose to go back to a variable or not or choose a different fixed rate option if you want to go back to variable you you may not be able to get the same discount rate 0.9 percent that they're advertising at the outset it may be a different discount rate or it may just be the 0.7 um or like it'll likely be less so you're not going to be able to get that same attractive low interest rate that the variable gives you. So to be honest, almost always my clients are getting the variable interest rate. Um, it's just such a good deal. And the chance of it going up substantially are actually quite low. And historically they're quite low. And also realistically they're quite low. Like anything material, uh, like a, a quarter percent increase or 1% in half or 1% increase, it's just realistically not going to happen um, in, in, in Japan. So variable is quite common. If you think, look, if you're really on the fence and go, geez, I, I don't know which is the right one and you kind of want to choose, you can actually go like, you know, 60-40, 50-50, 70-30, like one is variable and one is fixed. Okay, so you kind of have two separate loans and do that. So you can really, um, you can choose both. You don't have to choose one or the other. Okay, um, and it's tough because if you can speculate, well, what's it going to be in the future? Like, really, you're just guessing, right? You, your guess is your like you know the banks have their economists and they've done they've based these interest rate prices on their long term economic predictions. You're trying to outsmart the bank by trying to guess option A or option B, um, but of course, inherently, we all kind of do want to think that and think we, we're making the best decision. You won't know for many years, and how material that is because 0.1%, 0.2% is actually not a lot of money, even it's like maybe less like a few hundred thousand yen or less than a million yen over the life of the loan if there is a difference. But yeah, if you want to, you know, um, spread your risk, do you can choose both 50% for option A and 50% for option B, um, and, and you can do that. So that's what I want to touch on, but especially that discount portion at the beginning. Um, which you will not get the same rate of discount if you change to fixed and then go back to variable. So that's why I kind of feel the variable rate is the better deal if you if you can get it. And I suppose unless Japan, uh, this is anyone's guess if and when that'll happen, but unless Japan really boosts immigration rates or birth rates, the economy is probably only going to expand at you know a maximum sort of ceiling size and. Yeah. Interest rates can't really go up if the economy stays as it is, can they? Yeah, I mean, look, th that's that's not my area of expertise. So, I, you know, looking historically, what's happened, not that much. And yeah, like you know, for economic boost to be, you know, to be boosted significantly enough that they need to start slowing it down and put the reins on it. Um, 
they haven't been able to achieve that for two decades. So yeah. I don't know <laughs> um, if they're going to be able to, if, it's, if they can get it out of control like that again, that they're going to need to increase rates to, to bring it back into into control. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with, to be honest, like I think get variable if you can is my personal recommendation because it does end up just being cheaper. Um, yeah. look, and another way to look at it as well is let's say interest rates do sort of go up. How the banks kind of plan this is they don't overly, the banks aren't, like the banks will actually give you, you can choose whichever option you like. Their long-term assessment is they should make the same amount of profit, net profit at the end of the loan, regardless of which option you choose. Okay, that's their approach. That's why they're not trying to sell you on one, one on a fixed loan versus versus a, a different loan. Okay, they're just trying to, you know, they give you the options and you choose what's right for you because the bank is expecting they, they their economists have forecast that these these interest rates will basically give the same net value at the end of the 35-year loan as any other option, okay? So you trying to decide differently means that you're trying to do a better job than the bank's economists. Is, and so I think that's, that's not really the approach that seems you know, realistic. A better way to think about it is, um, you know, let's say the variable rate. The variable rate starts off low, but maybe in 35 years' time, it's going to be higher than a fixed rate. Okay, how that mean? What that means is right now you're paying less per month, and over the years, let's say at the midway, fifteen year, fifteen year mark, after that the interest rate goes up beyond what the fix would be, you're technically paying more per month. However, usually when people buy a house, it's they're, you know, they may be younger, and they haven't reached the peak of their financial of their income. Like you know, I think income highest income is when you're maybe close to fifty or so. They say so, and and also you maybe you're starting your family, so you'd rather have a bit more cash now. One because you don't have as high income, and two you have other stuff like you know maybe you want to go on holidays with your family, kids schooling, things like that. So you want to pay less now into your mortgage and have more free cash to use in your life. Yeah, and then as time moves on, as your kids get older and sort of move out, and they start taking up less expense your mortgage costs may increase, but you've also increased your income as well, hopefully at that stage when you close to And reduced your expenses so, the kids are out of the house. Exactly, right? There's less yeah. that, and you know, maybe you're, you're traveling less with, as a family or, or whatnot, going mm-hmm. more just, mm-hmm. just the two of you, you and your spouse. So, so the time is, so that kind of cycle, a fixed rate that increases over time is a bit better than something that's just fixed right now for the whole period, okay? Um, so I think that's the more appropriate way to, to think of it. Um, but again, if you like, when you really crunch the numbers um, in Japan, like there's only a few thousand yen difference in the price, so like per month. So it's not massive, really, to begin with. And two, like it's it's strange because when we look at it, we just assess the numbers at zero point five percent, zero point you know zero five, zero point one. Whereas it's strange, like when we're back home in the West. Like I'm in Australia, you know, 0.5%, half percent interest or 1% interest is almost like just, oh, someone's on, my friend's on 2%, I'm on 3.5%. Like, oh, yeah, whatever. It almost doesn't, doesn't make a massive difference. Like we just seem to accept anything here, but then we get really, we really start like back home. But in Japan, we really start to nitpick over, over a fraction of a percent. 
And similarly, yeah. with what happens as well is when you know um, there's zero money down, um, you can get a hundred percent loan or even a hundred five percent loan. In back home, you need to put a like in Australia, twenty percent deposit is standard across the board, right? Um, maybe you can get a ten percent deposit or even five percent deposit if you pay mortgage insurance. If you pay mortgage insurance on top, whereas in Japan, it's like well, you can get a hundred percent. And then I get some people saying, "Oh, well, I heard you can also get one hundred and five percent. You get all the initial closing costs in the loan as well." Um, and so, if I don't get that, then I don't want it at all. Uh, well, mm, hold on, like even one hundred percent is still great. Even ninety percent financing is actually really good compared to what you get back home. Um, but they seem to be on a, I don't know, the perspective changes, and that they demand they have, you know, the crazy cheap between zero point four seven and. 0.49 they have to they're going to do all the paperwork just to get that cheaper one and they demand 105 percent not 100 percent no money down it has to be no money down at all um yeah it's like wow that perspective really changes when oh look i'm not going to do that but you'll gladly buy a house on the internet sight unseen back home with a 20 percent deposit at whatever interest rate any bank which is four you. times that five percent difference between the no closing costs and closing costs right <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, well, I'm, I might just use that money to buy a place over there. And yeah. you, the, the scrutiny you give on a mortgage and the down payment and the stuff, uh, like the, uh, the interest rates um, overseas is like, hold on, you seem to not really care about it that much. But yeah. here you're, you're like, you're refusing to buy a place or you're refusing to go ahead with a purchase just yeah. because of uh, things. So um, I think people like, it's, look, I definitely empathize because when I was searching as well, I look at bank A and bank B and which like even fine details. But yeah, I'm sure that's it. You probably see it when people are looking for ROI on their investment. Oh, yeah. there's two properties. One gives a 5.2%. This one gives 5.28% ROI. Wow. Yeah, like 0.08%. Yeah, I've had a similar discussion yeah. with a customer last week, actually, where he's like, oh, well, this property is like, well, it wasn't you know, a bit more significant on the difference. It was maybe a one or one and a half percent higher yield. But that one is uh, about 12, 15 years older, hasn't been renovated in a while. How long do you think that one, one and a half percent difference is going to last once you start pouring money into it, right? Yeah. yeah. But Emil, you said you had a hard stop at 2.30, right? This is now. Oh, thank you for the reminder. I've got <laughs> another call. Right now. Time flies yeah. when you're having fun. <laughs> Oh God! So, sorry, I took over that. Um, <laughs> that this chat. Um, oh, we got through a lot. That was a good short session. That was good. That was really good. That's like a masterclass in, uh, you know, in interest rates. So thank you for that. Yeah. Cool. And I, thank you very I'm, much. So yeah, if anyone would like to have a very one-on-one -on -one discussion similar to that about the unique situation, please do reach out to me. Um, anything mortgage-related. Uh, looking for to buy a house in Tokyo, please do email is in the description of either the podcast or the video. Thank you, Ziv, for coordinating that. Much appreciated, mate. Entirely my pleasure. And if you want to talk short-term stays, that's that lady over there. Can't go wrong with her. <laughs> <laughs> and investment holiday homes right here. Like and yes. subscribe and serve us a message. <laughs> and hopefully uh, Matt will be here next week. We can talk Inaka and, uh, yes. and Akia. So lots right. of stuff happening in that area. So, Jane. Jane. Bye. Bye. All right, so there you have it. Interest rates, closing costs, business niches, really good little chat there. Hope you found value in it.
Now, before we go, we're also, as always, going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis, or you're already in Japan on some sort of a temporary visa, and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, or if you're considering setting up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company, and you've got any sort of business or visa-related inquiries, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku! <laughs>